Hello, Slate Plus members. We wanted to take a moment and say thank you once again for your membership and support, which has become more important than ever, especially in times like these. You're helping everyone at Slate do the work that we do, and we're doing our best to put out the best work for you. Now, if you're a reader at Slate, as well as a listener, you may have heard that Slate.com recently installed a paywall, but as Slate Plus members, you have access to everything on the site. As long as you're a member, you will not hit a paywall. All you have to do is sign in at Slate.com slash login. That's slate.com slash login. And if you have any questions about your account, you can send an email to plus at slate.com. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Monica Tomsinski, an indoorsy introvert who loves novels, pop culture, historic places, and chocolate. She lives in Seattle with her spouse and small dog, and now here's our first letter. Okay, I have been sitting on this next letter for a couple of weeks. Like, it came in just as as people were starting to talk more consistently about like, oh, we might be needing to cancel travel in the near future. And for for one reason or another, it kind of kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And I'm glad that it did because now I feel like we can talk about this as a sort of a hypothetical rather than something that needs to be addressed urgently. It's about a vacation that I don't think is going to take place anytime soon. The subject is friend can't keep up. Dear Prudence, I am part of a tight-knit group of friends who do yearly trips together from all over the world. This summer, four of us booked an intense, once-in-a-lifetime 10-day trip to the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone that will include hiking, kayaking, whitewater rafting, horseback riding, and an adventure course. It will push us to our physical limits. The itinerary was developed and agreed upon by those of us going, and we made sure that everyone was comfortable with proposed activities before booking them. Rose, Maggie, and I have been on a strict diet and exercise routine in order to prepare for this trip. However, Rose and I have concerns about Maggie that we're not sure how to deal with. Maggie has certain physical limitations, like scoliosis and joint issues. On a recent weekend trip to the mountains with Rose, Maggie was not able to keep up with her pace and was constantly falling behind. There is just no way that we will accomplish our itinerary at her pace. Rose and I recognize that we will have to make some compromise on this trip because of her limitations and we are prepared for this. However, we fear that Maggie will hold us back by not being able to finish some of the activities she starts or that she will move at such a slow pace that we will not fully enjoy or even complete the trip that we planned. This is a trip of a lifetime that we began planning 11 months ahead of time, and we don't want to spend it waiting for Maggie to catch up or figuring out her escape plans. How do we get her to understand her own physical limitations or have a frank conversation with her about not holding back the rest of the group? We feel like monsters telling her that a dream trip that's been paid for and booked for months is outside of her reach because she can't keep up, but we don't want to sacrifice our own dreams by crawling through the woods. Help. I I won't pretend I don't take a little pleasure in just saying I I think probably this this trip of a lifetime, this dream trip, is uh, already going to be sacrificed, not because of Maggie, uh, but because... I think uh, summer rafting trips into Yellowstone are 
off the books. Um, so a, a lot of this is purely theoretical, but I noticed the number of times this letter included words like limitations, holding us back, crawling, failing, escape is like constant and relentless. And so like, obviously this particular trip is probably not going to go forward, but yeah. Do I think that like, if you had this to do over again, you could have had better conversations than the ones that you failed to have? Absolutely. I would not encourage you to sit someone down and say nine or 10 times in a row, you can't keep up. You can't keep up. You'll fall behind. You'll ruin our fun. We'll have to sacrifice ourselves for you. Like, just imagine if you would enjoy being on the other end of that conversation. My guess is you wouldn't. I don't know many people who would. That would not be a way I would encourage anyone to talk to anyone else. Yeah, I thought this letter was really, really interesting. Um, My guess is that Maggie already knew about her scoliosis and joint issues as they were planning this trip. So I'm not sure why it has become such a huge concern at this point. I also thought it was interesting that, you know, they're talking about all these different activities, hiking, whitewater rafting, adventure course. It seems really unlikely to me that all four of them are going to be at exactly the same level and the same pace and the same skill for all of these activities. Like probably there's going to be someone who is a little bit better, a little bit faster at each of them. And they should just all of them talk about like, how will we handle it if someone isn't feeling up to whatever activity? Right. There should be right. a, an escape plan for everyone because they're also talking about a 10 day trip and someone might show up feeling great. And then three days later they come down with a cold. Like it's just, it seems unrealistic to me to think that you would go on a a trip with all these activities for 10 days and everyone is going to have the exact same amount of energy, enthusiasm, and skill the whole time. Yes. I think there needs to be a little bit of a reality check about how, (laughs) how different people at different times have different levels of energy and different skills and there should be escape plans that work for everyone. Yeah. I'm curious to know, like they're talking Rose and the writer are having all these conversations about Maggie just because Maggie didn't do well on that one weekend trip doesn't mean that she's not going to do well on this 10 day trip. Like hopefully Maggie is working with her physicians and is having good treatment she might be totally fine. I just, yeah, and like, I, I, I want to move away from language like doing well or not doing well. Like the woman has scoliosis and joint issues, which means that any physical activity that she undertakes will have to include those as realities. There are lots of ways to enjoy the outdoors that don't like give in to the idea if she has to sit down, the fun is ruined. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be physically active and there's nothing wrong with wanting to schedule a vacation where you like test your limits a lot. But yeah, as you were saying, Monica, there seems to be no room for the idea that like, well, if somebody gets sick or hurt or is tired or reaches a limit, do we have any ways to, uh, you know, accommodate that? How would we make it so that we didn't just say like, keep moving, maggot? Like, we're not trying to recreate boot camp here in the mountains. So yeah, I think probably the time for this conversation was first when you booked the trip and it wouldn't have been, hey, Maggie, how are you going to make sure you don't ruin it for the rest of us? It just would have been like, hey, Maggie, you know, what What do you think will work for you? What are your needs? What are your limits? Um, what would help you? Um, what activities do you feel comfortable taking part in? 
What do you not feel comfortable taking part in rather than like, it's going to be move, move, move from sunup to midnight. And anyone who can't fucking, you know, do pull-ups on top of a waterfall is just going to ruin it for the rest of us. So obviously some of this is moot because I don't think any of you are going to be going to the Grand Canyon, but it, it was weird of you not to bring it up earlier and kindly. Um, it was weird of you to leave it so late. My guess is Maggie may not even have thought of it as not going well. Like she may very well have thought like, oh, I recently went on a trip to the mountains with Rose. I had to stop a lot due to my scoliosis and joint issues. We still had a wonderful time being outdoors. Like she may not have experienced that as a bad day. It may very well be that she thought my friends are happy to accommodate my needs um, and we're all able to be together outdoors and enjoying the sunshine. Isn't that nice? While in reality, um, you were thinking, you know, this woman is just weighing me down when I could be marathoning into the sun at this very moment. And so um, I would encourage you to speak really kindly to Maggie, to not use a lot of this language about how she would ruin your fun, um, but in the future to just have more honest conversations about your expectations from a trip. I don't think you're going to get to go on this one. All right, that's enough. That's enough. Not sour grapes out of me. What's the German word? I can't remember right now. Whatever that German word is, I'm. It's enough of it. Schadenfreude. Yes, thank you. That's the one. I think I couldn't think of it because I never know how to say it. And um, thank you for saying it on my behalf. Would you say the next letter on my behalf as well? Would you read it for us? Yes. The subject of this letter is: I'm being treated for cancer, but my doctor in-laws won't butt out. Dear Prudence. I'm engaged to a wonderful man and have an overall great relationship with his parents and siblings. They welcomed me into their family with open arms and have been exceedingly generous and supportive. My issue is this. I've been receiving treatment for cancer for the past several months, and my future in-laws are being intrusive. My future father-in-law is a prominent oncologist, my future mother-in-law is a nutritionist, and both of my future siblings-in-law are oncologists in training. They all feel the need to pass along helpful articles or information, call me daily to ask how I'm doing, and give me scripts for the next time I talk to my treatment team. My future father-in-law repeatedly tries to get in touch with my doctors or cajole me into giving him the okay to speak with them, even though this makes me deeply uncomfortable and I have not given him permission. My fiancé's extended family is also made up of doctors, oncologists, psychiatrists, and OBGYNs who feel the need to chime in with their professional opinions, which my fiancé then relays to me. I feel like a patient being discussed at clinical rounds. At first, I was grateful for their help and support and receptive to their suggestions, but I'm at capacity with their help now. Prudy, I know that there are no ill intentions behind their actions and that they're doing this because they want to help me get well, but this is overwhelming. It takes every iota of strength I have not to lose my shit on them when they call, email, or relay messages to me through my fiancé. This is so distressing to me that I sometimes have thoughts of ending the relationship just to get away from these people. But I don't want to jeopardize my relationship with my fiancé and, by extension, my future in-laws. I've tried telling my fiancé that I'm feeling bombarded by his family's over-involvement in my cancer treatment. He agrees that they are overstepping and has tried to talk to them about respecting my privacy, but their doctor brains seem to be rendering them incapable of butting out. How do I go about calmly and assertively setting boundaries with his family? Can I just ignore them and tell my fiancé to refrain from forwarding any messages from them to me? Help. Yes. My answer to that question is just yes. That was mine, too. Yay. I love agreeing. Isn't it nice? <laughs> yeah, I think um, 
you know, ignoring them, don't answer their calls every day, maybe answer their calls once a week and tell your fiance to stop relaying the messages. And he can tell his family like, Hey, you know what? You can tell me what you think, but I'm not going to tell her. So, you know, if they just can't stop themselves from having a conversation with him, he just doesn't need to pass that on. Yeah. And so like the good news is he's already partly on your side or, or it wasn't quite clear to me if he's aware of how much this distresses you or if he thinks like, yeah, it was kind of bugging her, but she's actually like, okay with it. Um, but regardless, like he at least in principle agrees that this is not helpful to you. So, um, while I understand your reluctance to let him know just how frustrating it is, like you don't want to introduce the fact that sometimes I think about breaking up with you just so I can get away with them because you're worried he might freak out. So I understand if you don't want to lead with that one, but like you have fucking cancer. You are dealing with that right now. You get to ask a lot of the people around you and you, you, you get to pull that, um, you get to pull that one out, I think. So to say to your fiance, like, we need to, this, this isn't a, a matter of like you privately agree that they're doing too much, but don't push back. It needs to stop. I'm not taking their calls. I'm not answering their emails. Um, I'm not going to have any conversation with them about my cancer. Like that's done. I am exhausted. I'm worn out on top of that. I'm also going through chemo. Um, and on top of that, there's a fucking pandemic going on. So my ability to accommodate their need to feel useful is at zero and it's going to stay at zero for as long as I have cancer. Um, so what that means for me is I stop responding to them. What that means for you, fiance, is you do whatever you have to do to get them to stop. Maybe that simply means you absorb the nonsense coming, not nonsense in the sense of it's not uh, medically sound, but nonsense in the sense that it's unwelcome and you're already being treated by medical professionals. Um, and so it's nonsense in the sense that they know you don't want or need it, but they've decided that their need to feel useful is more important than your need to experience peace and quiet because um, rest is kind of an important uh, component of dealing with a health crisis. So whether that means he has a lot of fights with them, whether that means he simply like has to absorb those stories and then not pass them along to you and then complain about it to a friend, whatever that looks like for him, he needs to take responsibility for that. But this sounds just awful and exhausting and I'm just so sorry. And I don't think you have to worry quite so much of like, I know they all mean well. I know everyone's a good person. Like, you don't have to justify their actions. Like regardless of how well-intended it was at the beginning, it's clearly totally overwhelming, unnecessary, and unhelpful to you now. So um, honestly, I would also encourage you to be honest and say to your fiance, like, this is getting so bad that it's affecting how I see our relationship. You don't have to necessarily go to, I think about dumping you, but like, I think it would be good for him to know this isn't just kind of frustrating. This isn't just like, oh, geez, it's a little much. This is like draining to the point of I'm not sure how I can handle seeing their faces again. And this is a crisis that we need to deal with. Like he needs to know that it's a crisis and not just slightly annoying. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm feeling like the writer's fiance doesn't necessarily know the full scope of her feelings. Um it also seems like there's a feeling that because this information and help and support and suggestions were welcome at the beginning, that they should continue to be welcome now. But you're allowed to say, you know, like, hey, that thing that was helpful a few months ago, it's not helpful to me anymore. Like, I've got all the information I need from my team. Thank you for your caring. But 
what will be most helpful to me at this point is for you to not be a doctor to me, but just be, you know, my future father-in-law. Just because things were helpful at one point and you welcomed them doesn't mean that you have to keep acting the same way now. That's a really good point. And as I'm rereading this now, I think that's an open question here. I think I had kind of read this under the assumption that you and or your fiance have already said, thank you so much. I know you mean well, but this is too much and we need you to stop. And then they were just doing it anyways. Or if you hadn't directly said that yet, and I can certainly understand why you wouldn't want to say that necessarily, but I do think it's important. So if you think there's a chance that if you were to say like, you know, I'm so grateful that you have wanted to be helpful and I know that you mean well, but I actually find this really wearing and and it's just too much for me. I feel confident in the treatment I'm receiving right now and I, I would love for you to stop sending me advice or scripts and to just talk about other stuff with me. Absolutely do that first before you do the kind of harder line, okay, you guys need to stop or I'm going to stop answering the phone when you call because it, it may just be that they don't yet realize how frustrating this is for you. But if you've done that already and they're not doing it, I don't think you have to say like, oh, their doctor brains make it impossible for them to butt out because doctors should listen, you know, like doctors should actually, a doctor brain should mean that when someone says, I'm already receiving medical treatment from a doctor, I don't want another opinion. Thank you. Please stop. A doctor's brain should be really good at hearing that and saying, okay, thanks for letting me know. You know, definitely. I'm just sorry. This is a lot to deal with on top of everything else. And um, I think it's always really hard when somebody's feeling frustrated and not listened to, but they're also trying to berate themselves because they're like, well, these people mean well, so I really shouldn't be upset. I think that's a hard position to be in. Yeah. But you are allowed to be upset and you're allowed to tell them and hopefully they will be receptive. And then you've got your fiance to run interference if necessary. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. 